Hello and welcome to this special MyChair podcast coming today live from our UK headquarters. I'm in a pretty packed room actually at the moment with what I'm told is around 100 clients for an exclusive deep dive into MyShare's trends report for 2017. Now I'm sure everyone has seen at least one of the hundreds of different trends reports which flood inboxes and column space over the last few months. Uh, and what people really wanted to know today was how MindShare's insights are different. Uh, well, last year, they surveyed over 3,000 people, held focus groups, carried out online qualitative research and diary-style exercises with more than 100 people, as well as social and search analysis, which underpins the MindShare mission of placing people firmly at the heart of everything they do. Well, today's sessions actually are being led by some of those people who made this report happen. Uh, they're in the Futures team, and they include Sophie Harding, Jeremy Pounder, and Julia Ayling. They're going to be joined by some leading experts, Duncan Anderson from IBM, Elizabeth Sherian from JWT, Cameron Worth from Sharpend, and Will Goodhand from Kantar TNS. And they're about to take part in a panel chaired by Norm Johnson, who is Mindshare's Global Chief Strategy and Digital Officer. Let's have a listen. Everybody okay? Did you guys have a good time this morning? All juiced up on caffeine and coffee? Right, well, we've got uh, an exciting panel, um, a very cozy little panel over there. I was hoping to sit with you guys. I feel a bit like Dave Allen over here with my table and chair, but anyway, which is pretty cool when you think about it. Um, so let, let's let's kick off. Let's start with uh, digital dieting and this notion of being digitally overweight and too much digital consumption, which... Does anybody have kids here? You look so young. Anybody have children here? A few of you. Okay, thank God. Uh, but we go through this in our house all the time. I don't know if you guys have this, but our kids are constantly on their devices watching YouTube. And it reminds me a little bit of when I was young watching TV. My parents said, you're watching too much TV. You've got to get off. And in the data, um, a couple interesting facts. Um, 46% of parents limit their children's time, but only 27% limit their time, which my kids tell me all the time when I tell them to get off their devices. And the more tech that you use, and I think the millennials were the highest, the more likely they were to reduce their time. So, Will, is there anything to this digital dieting thing? Is, is this a real thing, or what do you think? Yeah, well, I think it, um, I think it reflects a real um, disquiet uh, amongst uh, users uh, of of the internet, and we in connected life. So um, those of you who are in the other room, I'm going to repeat myself, but very briefly. Um, in connected life, so we look across 60 countries at people's digital behaviour and attitudes. We segment each of the markets, so you can actually look at kind of the most functional people through to the real leaders. And actually, where we've picked up quite a lot of the uh, discomfort about some of this stuff, about kind of the bad habits that they're getting into and uh, and all the rest of it, and intrusions is actually amongst the leader segment. So, you know, the folks who've been pushing the boundaries a bit have then actually found, you know, yes, my goodness me, you know, I am addicted to the sort of serotonin hit of getting likes and what have you. And actually, I mean, we had some, we did some qualitative work and it can go either way. So you can have some people getting off Facebook, um, but because they don't feel they're getting the like hit quick enough. Uh, and so they move somewhere else uh, like Instagram, where actually they feel like they're getting a much bigger hit more quickly from what they do. So there's that. But there's then also people who just have a kind of fundamental uh, discomfort about what have I got myself in? To. Right. Is, it, is anybody digital diet? Have you done a digital diet? Have you guys done digital IT guys here? This is the ultimate test now. You guys, what, so what did you end up doing? Did you just stop stop using the internet for a while? or And how'd that go? Did you feel better? Okay. 
I'm sure that's good for me as chief digital officer, but anyway. <laughs> Knock that stuff off. We don't need any of that. What do you guys think? Any other opinions on this? Is this, uh, is this a serious issue for the future? I mean, you think about augmented reality, where we're going with that, of putting those, the, uh, well, more virtual reality, I guess, the goggles on and sort of being displaced from reality altogether. Do you guys think this is something that's going to grow as an issue or, or not? I think it will grow a lot. Um, because as we you've got the artificial intelligence angle of it where instead of it just being you know a screen that you're kind of interacting with Facebook or something it's actually some kind of personality that you're interacting with um, and, and you see already we were just chatting about Alexa the Amazon Echo thing and um, you know, I, I say to Alexa Alexa shut up when I wanted to stop playing music and my wife says that I'm being rude to Alexa <laughs> this is kind of disembodied voice but already she's got a personality in our household um, and as these things get more sophisticated um, you can see it's becoming addicted to the personality you, know, you hear about people having um, relationships online with people they've never met well maybe they'll have relationships with um, avatars online that don't actually physically exist um, and that could be incredibly addictive. What do you think of the, the implications are to brands? Is there anything they can do about this, or is it just something they need to be aware of? I mean, the REI example comes to mind, which is an outdoor clothing shop in the U.S., and they shut down on Black Friday, the day after mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, and obviously cost them some money, but they wanted to send a message of, hey, look, you know, we think it's important you get outdoors and exercise and spend time with your family. So is there something brands can do around this subject to encourage people to spend a little less time with digital or use their time more wisely, something around the brand territory? Cameron, you look like you're shaking your head. That's just my... Uh, okay, that's just the, the thing you do. Okay, does anybody else have it? <laughs> but, uh, but no, okay. I mean, I organize, uh, I organize a, a couple of parties every year, once, once every four months, and we have a, a kind of rule, which is if you see someone taking selfies or videoing on the dance floor, then, then you're encouraged to tell them to take the phone down and stop recording people and I think there's something in that for brands who are aligning themselves with music or or real world experiences being kind of unashamedly offline and being like look we're here for you know being in the moment enjoying the actual experience that we're putting on versus trying to get likes from people on snapchat by turning yourself into a dinosaur filter whatever (laughs) it's is it just because you don't dance very well that you don't want any (laughs) selfies of you dancing because that's what i typically do but anyway i'm an excellent dancer right right my shaking on stage uh let's move on to tunnel vision so this whole notion of and you, you look at all the data everybody loves personalization and greater relevance and advertising so on and so forth but this notion that somehow and we're not seeing other things that could be quite quite valuable. And I loved, I don't know if you read the the, uh, the 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 trends deck yet or the trends material yet, but the Danish studies that suggested that the more that you consume news through social networks, the less aware you are. And then I looked at the U.S. data, which most Americans consume their news through social networks, which may explain a few things that have happened in America recently, less so in the U.K. Um, do you think there's there's such a thing as too much personalization, Helen? I, th- I think there is. I mean, if you look at, I mean, if you look at, you know, Brexit and, you know, um, my own, the echo chamber of Facebook and the personalization and that sort of stuff, yes. I, and I don't want, I want to have stuff that actually gives me a different perspective. And if I get things that only, that they think only I want to hear, you, you are, the, you become slave to an algorithm which ignores the fact that you are actually a human being who may want, who may not be able to articulate you know something but that serendipity of discovering something that you didn't think you're interested in but you did find very interesting you're going to miss all of that sort of stuff 
and being in that echo chamber and being, you know, uh, you know, a slave to an algorithm means you're going to lose that. I mean, the fact that most people do find their news, you know, on Facebook to me is terrifying, mm. especially considering, you know, one of the big challenges that now everyone's aware of is, you know, fake news or alternative facts, <laughs> as the case may be, and how in a world where things, you know, how do you then, where do you get stuff that sits outside right. that algorithm for you? Duncan, so, so Watson, so obviously you've got some artificial intelligent algorithms. Should we worry about this stuff? I mean, I read recently that uh, Google discovered that two of its algorithms had been talking to each other, and they, they weren't aware of this, and they have no idea what they were discussing amongst mm. each other. I've seen a movie is this that something that, like that. Yeah, I mean, is this something, or do you think the algorithms in, in reality will adjust to reflect that desire to see new things mm. that perhaps we wouldn't be uh, aware of? Mm. I think it's something we should be aware of, um, but, but I think... Uh, the press is very aware of it already. The fact that we see these articles for the most inconsequential things that become headlines today, right? There's, the press is, uh, and the general public is hypersensitive to these issues. Um, and the fact that, okay, uh, fake news, alternative facts, the fact that actually we're talking about them. We, yeah. we, it's not that they've happened and everyone hasn't realised. We've realised it's an issue. And I, and I think we're in a, a kind of an age of correction, right? So society is beginning to struggle with these issues. And I'm an optimist, personally. I think we will find a route through it. But I think we've probably got five years of struggle <laughs> to work out. And who, who corrects the algorithms? I mean, I guess that's the question with Merkel and the European Union looking at the algorithms and who owns it, who decides the adjustments on that. Who, do, you, do you think IBM should do that? Or do you think there should be some government body that takes a look at that? I don't think there's a single answer. I think it, it's the humans. The humans need to be in charge. Um, I think we are. You know, we're, we're not at the dystopian future. We've got a, a long time to go before these things seriously begin to potentially impact society in the way that the movies show us. Do you guys um, agree with that? Do you think we... Are you worried now about these things? Trump's already doing okay. that. Trump, to some extent, mm. is trying to, to, to push his version of that correction now by yeah. you know by taking charge of the media by public you know by putting out certain messages by limiting that so he's already started so in the case of a government starting to do that and i think that for me shows you know that's dictatorship so what's you know and that's a human doing it so it's not necessarily a google and we i think tend to sometimes obsess too much about the technology and actually forget that you know technology is not um, what Trump is, you know, doing. He's doing it himself. Right, having... Because he's no, knowing, not digitally dieting enough. I'd like to see him do it more. Yeah. Much more... Knowing that this is being podcast, and I'm sure the CIA is monitoring this, <laughs> Helen may not live for another not, week. Not but yet. anyway, now we know where that happened. If she's taken out suddenly. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. Uh, according to the trends material, $1.1 billion industry today, going to about $22 billion. By 2020, I find it fascinating because if you talk to the AR VR people, the AR people are convinced that VR sucks. Mm -hmm. VR people are convinced that AR. It's a bit like the beta VHS wars that most of you probably won't remember. The Pepsi Coke or wars, or know what it is, what a beta is. <laughs> um, Cameron, do you think one format will win in the future, or do you think there's room for lots of different realities out there? I don't think. Um, I don't think anyone knows what the race is that people are trying to win. Um, everyone's just trying to be the definitive platform. Mm. Personally, I don't think AR has gone 
particularly past uh, people who play Pokemon Go yet, and I don't think those people deserve to be advertised to. Um, <laughs> I uh, I also don't there think... Any Pokemon Go fans out here? Anyone no one plays Pokemon. Pokemon I play Go? Pokemon Go. Seriously? Um, and then secondly, I think that... I have become... So I travel around the world. My son gives me a list of Pokemons I have to catch. I've become like an international Pokemon Go bounty hunter. <laughs> Trafficking... Trafficking Pikachu. Yeah, looking for Pikachu's. Yeah. I think uh, like VR, for example, hasn't really got past uh, gaming, and it hasn't really cracked gaming yet either. So you look at that as a as an audience size, and you say, well, as a brand, if I'm not really targeting the gaming community, does it make sense for me to be on that platform? And I think what's also not productive is that agencies are promoting VR to brands way too heavily. Everything now needs to be 360. Everything now needs to be built in CGI for the Gear VR headset, which is going to take over the world and be the biggest you know, Christmas present in 2016. But I think two things. One is that the, the VR experience on a smartphone is so totally unbelievable, not in a positive sense, in a, like a, I feel like I'm looking at like a Lego world. You're not really going to get the kind of uh, value from the platform. And then also, I think that the brand applications of VR are totally wrong. You know, Borsan Cheese. I hope there's no one there in the audience from Borsan Cheese. But I was sat down and given an example of VR, and I was flying through a fridge on a piece of cheese. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I took my headset off, and I didn't know whether to just like jump out of the window or give them some honest feedback. I was just like, it's just. Kind of throw it down, and you think, who gave you the advice to build that for VR, and and more importantly, who signed it up for it? It's like, uh, so yeah, I really do, don't do know. You, what do, you, do we risk underestimating the impact? Because it is, seems to be one of those things that I mean, struggling to scale right now. I think VR is only about a million computers in the world that can handle uh, a VR, uh, you know, Oculus Rift, and so on and so forth. Um, do we do we risk underestimating the impact that this is indeed the four screen, and that ten years from now, that rather than watching Wimbledon on the TV set, we'll put on some some goggles and we'll be in the front row of Wimbledon watching it live with our colleagues next to us because it'll be replicated. Do we, do we think this will eventually emerge as the another disruptive force to the way that we consume content? Not now, but perhaps in five, ten years. I Anybody definitely wanna? think so. And yeah. I think AR and VR are two different animals completely. Yep. I think their application will be, they, they will learn to not compete, actually. Because if you look at VR, you're completely taken outside of the real world, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's immersive. You put the headset on and you travel to another place, which is amazing for, like, the travel industry. Think of all the holidays you can go to in, in certain spaces that are maybe... Um, unused at this point. If you look at autonomous driving, think of that space inside the car that will be completely up to us to decide what we do with it. Can we go on holiday? Can we have a teleconference for work? Can we make it really productive time, those whatever it is, 20, 50 minutes we're commuting to work? And so to be able to transport yourself to another place, that's quite different than being in the real world with AR, this additional screen, this projection. And when you look at the rise of conversation with things like Amazon Echo and Alexa talking to us in our house, you know, there's always going to be a need to visualize whatever it is we're searching for. It's not going to be strictly conversational. I think we're all in agreement about that. There's always going to be that time when you want to see it. And how amazing will it be through augmented reality that you can pull up a, a projection and see that um, so I think that they, they are in their infancy. It's just like AI is still very new. It's learning from us, and they're going to evolve, but they're all going to have their place. And have you guys seen any really killer examples of AR, VR, something beside the Borson cheese? Have you seen anything out there you think, this is pretty cool, actually. It's got some real legs to it. I did, um, 
I, th I think one of the most in interesting things for VR was something that I did, unsurprisingly. Um, Here we go. Here now, we go. Uh, Don't worry, I'll cut them off if it goes too far. <laughs> Picture this. Um, no, basically, so Malibu Rum uh, wanted to, to play around with VR and said, you know, what should we do with VR? I said, well, don't do anything right now. But if you really want to do it, let's do an internal focus and let's think about how to show our local markets that we understand VR and we can build for VR and the type of thing we can build on VR. So what we did is we developed Malibu branded headsets and then we sent to all of the digital marketing leads across the world all of their campaign assets developed in a Malibu branded environment. So instead of sending a PowerPoint deck for your integrated brand plan saying these are your cocktail glasses, these are your drinks, this is your TVC, we built a music festival environment that you could experiment with and you could explore and engage with all the assets. And I think that was an interesting way of actually trialing VR without needing to go to market and expect all of the consumer mm. metrics. Excellent. Anybody else want to throw any other examples? If not, how many AR users do we have here? Anybody have Blipper, any AR? V Come on, guys, honestly, <laughs> really? VR, anybody, anybody purchase a VR set? Sony, Oculus Rift? I'm not gonna ask you a question, don't worry. You can raise your hand. Nobody, we got a couple people, okay. Yeah, a lot of people, well, they give them away for free, the cardboard ones, yeah, so. They've got enough money they can do that. Again, I need to be careful, they're right above us, possibly listening. But does that not tell us something, though, that, that it's a, a pretty young profile of audience here and pretty connected people into technology and nobody's buying these things. Why is that? I, that's, it's well, a really good expensive. question. Well, or is, it, or is it the geek factor? The delivery. We're saying, who thinks the delivery is in it? The delivery in terms of the... It's a disappointment. So it's a disappointment. I mean, Google Goggles was probably the most infamous example where when you put it on... Or Google Glass, sorry, when you put it on... Yeah. I mean, so interestingly, needs, we just did some research in yeah. China. Uh, maybe it's a question of different markets, but we found that over three quarters of the population in China were more apt to go shopping in brick and mortar and other physical space if they offered a VR experience. Yeah. So there's quite a, an appetite for it. And I think, again, as these technologies really evolve and change and get better, I mean, if anyone who's worn a headset, it makes me nauseous, I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm still not in a place where I enjoy it. But if you think of things like education or specialisms like design, I was at the UK Innovate um, uh, Day conference last week, and I met a guy who is developing VR for architecture and engineering. So what they're using is the headset. You get into your virtual space and you start thinking about space and how you can build buildings in a way like designers have never been able to do before. And so it's more quite practical, more practical and transformative. The way right. it's, it's allowing you to think. But yeah, in lots yeah. of different areas, you can solve problems in a completely new way, and it's changing our brains really. They had uh, in China Singles Day. You should pay attention to that because it's a phenomenal thing in China on November 11th. They go out and buy tons of stuff. And the Chinese love shopping abroad. They love going to shop in London, etc. Yeah, Alibaba. So they was created a virtual hit. reality experiences where they could literally go virtually shop in Australian shopping malls in order to buy stuff. So it's amazing Macy's. what they do. Yeah. Their hookup. So Alibaba yeah. has their um, VR lab. Yep. Alibaba, everyone's familiar. It's sort of the um, Amazon of, of China, and they've invested quite a bit in VR. And on Singles Day, it was the most successful day of shopping for Alibaba ever. Yep. And what they did is they allowed people because they have this technology called Buy Plus. So you put on the goggles, and let's say you're in Beijing, and you want to go shopping in New York and, and go to Macy's. So you put on the goggles, you go to Macy's, and not only can you look at Macy's and see all the things uh, that are, are on offer in another country, in another store, but you can buy just by nodding. So let's say you see a pair of trainers you want. You, yep, I'll have that. Yep, I'll have that. 
One of the best things to do is to go to a marketing conference and see people try virtual reality on and watch them fall over. Because it's just some great, I'm serious. You could spend a whole day just doing that. All right, hassle-free. Uh, back to Duncan. Um, you know, Watson, supposedly better than lawyers, better than nurses in predicting various health conditions. And then you've got Microsoft Tay, which, if you remember, was the chatbot they launched last year an experiment, and within, I think, 24 hours, it basically turned into Donald Trump. I mean, literally, it was a xenophobic, racist sort of asshole. Um, well, yeah, so is this real? <laughs> <laughs> I know. We're both going down together, Helen. We're going to go down together. Um, you know, what, what is, is it really ready for prime time, or is this one of the things it's good at recognizing images with, you know, machine learning and deep learning, but is it really ready for that emotional deeper sort of engagement with people. Mm. So we, we, we separate between supervised and unsupervised learning. So essentially, unsupervised is what Microsoft Tay was, where it, it can kind of learn on its own without human involvement. And that's pretty Bad. dangerous, because <laughs> particularly if you're a brand and you release something like a boss and it yeah. learns to, to be Donald Trump, then that's probably bad news for you. Um, but most, to be honest, most of that stuff that's unsupervised is really lab technology today. Most of what people are doing is supervised learning, and supervised learning is where the human's in control. So the, the thing will only ever do what the human's told it to do, and it's not going to go off and do some random crazy thing. So I'd argue that it, it is ready because of, because of that distinction. Right, and let's sort of, the interesting theme that came up was this tension between the joy of having things done on your behalf, reordering the Amazon, but this nervousness around what is it actually doing on my behalf and how do I control that? So will any, any thoughts on how that gets resolved over time? Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, it's actually a, a mind share uh, stat, this one, but um, people were asked which of the uh, brands they would be happy to give their data to. And so if, if they had to choose uh, one, so only 12% said Facebook, but 33% said Amazon. So... Already you can see just that kind of combination of trust and utility in terms of what you're getting in return, actually seeing people become much more comfortable. And I think, you know, clearly, as we've seen, things will evolve and, you know, there will be that adjustment process that I think uh, Duncan talked about. But you'll see that progress. And, as, and people who get it right, brands that get it right, will be rewarded. Um, and, uh, you know, as I say, we're seeing that with Amazon and we'll see that, you know, brands that continue to irresponsibly retarget people with bad programmatic advertising, chasing them uh, wherever they go with things they've already bought or didn't want, uh, they really will increasingly get punished. And the brands that get it right and find that they can get people the thing that they want in the right moment, in the right way, will increasingly flourish. And then, of course, what we'll see is that best practice spread like wildfire fire because nobody wants to be left behind uh, you know on a, a corporation on an enforced digital diet uh, not a good look and that's Excellent. that trade-off between the utility that it gives me and what I'm willing to exchange for it so yeah. the amount that Amazon knows about my house is truly frightening um, but yet it is the because it's so easy to use because it's it's there and provides a service then i will make that trade off perhaps unwillingly but i recognize that the benefit of getting it outweighs my fear factor that somehow 
<laughs> they're going to know stuff about me that I don't even know about myself. Well, let's let's use that as a segue into into the connected me area and, and voice because um, we have asked the Amazon guys what they do with all those Alexa yeah. interactions, and they couldn't answer the question for me, which is a little unnerving. Um, so this whole idea of voice interaction and listening, um, you know, Google, 20% of all searches are now voice, over 50% of millennials in the U.S. It's important you search a voice search on uh, at, at least once a day. And uh, Siri and Alexa and Cortana now being baked into third-party apps and different devices. So something's going on. Do we feel that this is just a, an American thing at the moment? Or, by the way, in America, when you talk to a device, you talk with my accent, an Ohio accent. So I officially have the Stephen Hawking voice of America. <laughs> Little side fact there. But is this an American thing? Or is well, it's this, not is just this... in America. I mean, in South Korea, there's a product called Nugu, which was put out by SK Telecom. And it is a, an Echo stroke Google Home yeah. competitor. Yep. Um, and it speaks in Korean. Um, Alexa speaks in German. Uh, she doesn't speak in American English in the UK, just so you know. So I don't know if you've spoken to but Alexa she does here. Have t- she does struggle with some of the accents, though. We've, had, we've tested yes. it out across a range of accents. And she has no idea what I'm saying. Who, who has Alexa? Who, who, who talks to a device? No one talks to a device? A few of you. Okay. They, uh, who has never talked to a device? Okay, quite a few of you. And why is it just because you don't think it's good enough? I feel like a dork when I do it. I feel like a complete idiot. So for me, it's... More of a generational thing. Okay. So you, so do we think the technology will get better so that it can recognize Midlands accents and Brummies and Welsh can, and so on and so You can train the echo based on the um, uh, difference in language. If it's a Swedish person speaking English, you can actually repeat a phrase and then it will use that to start learning the accent of the person. Because we do a lot of installations in European head offices. So the first thing we do is get the people who are going to be giving the yeah. demos to talk to the Echo so that the Echo learns their accent and can deliver uh, a seamless kind of experience. Back. Right. It's something that, again, you, you, don't, you don't think you could ever get used to it. But then how many, you know, well, I'm old, right? So, you know, I existed before this, right? And somehow I survived. Right? <laughs> but now the thought of this going away, I couldn't do it. So the same thing for me for voice, it's the same thing. Is it feels quite weird when you first put it in, but then soon it becomes a part of it and you don't feel odd. And do you, wor- it, do you worry about the privacy? Cylinder, do you worry about the privacy? Do you, does that concern you or is, yeah, again, the benefit so great that you just I do let it worry, roll? I do worry generally about the privacy. I worry, if I'm honest, I worry about it more for my children because I, you know, understand, but I don't, I honestly don't think that, you know, the people who put stuff on Facebook don't understand that that is there for the rest of their life. Whereas I did stupid shit, not very much, <laughs> when I was a teenager, and there's no physical record of it, all right? Or it's sitting in a photo on someone's shoebox, you know, far away. Whereas that I, I think that, that, that children and, and people who are now just starting, so in the teenagers, starting to use social media, have a very different understanding of what privacy is. And I think it's really, really important for me as a parent to, to educate them about what is actually the trade-off, so they understand that there is a trade-off, because a lot of time they'll grow up and they won't know, because the opt-ins that you now have for the Facebooks, for, for WhatsApp, for et cetera, et cetera, you just go, yeah, 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 That's and you don't read even it. read it. Yeah. 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 Right? And that, I think, is really, really important for parents to actually educate about what actually are you <coughs> signing up for, so you understand, so that you can make that trade-off. 
Yeah, your concern is definitely echoed in the research that we've done. We've been quite well, interested. Thank God for that. I'm val I feel validated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we um, asked people what they want to control, what they care about, and 92% said that they want more control over their data, how it's managed, and you know what brands are doing with it. That's a that's a massive stat. 92% of U.S. and U.K. respondents said that, and not only that, but how brands manage personal data ranked number one on the thing that people wanted to have control over. And we gave them a whole list of things to choose from, including manufacturing, um, ethics, uh, packaging, um, the whole advertising, which was bottom of the barrel. What they were really interested in is having control over how their personal data is managed. Because we all see the stories, we know what's happening in the news, we're all the more wiser. Um, our data is vulnerable. Even when a company like Apple or Amazon take a stand and say, no FBI, no prosecutor, I'm not going to hand over oh, the personal data. You can't of have 100% guarantee. Yeah, you know, they, they still you, get you it. You can't. You can't. You, you have to. You have to assume that your data go. You know, has the ability to be hacked. I mean, and that's nothing's fail safe. But there's, well, there's one positive thing here in that you know we're all worried about our children's lives and stupid incidents being recorded for posterity. But Donald Trump proves that it's possible to have those yeah. things recorded and still become U.S. president. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. There we go. We're probably the uh, one <laughs> saving grace. Coming out of the Trump here. There is this interesting thing, because I've seen the same data, people concerned about data protection, privacy. But, you know, consumer data lockers haven't really taken off. People don't seem to do anything about it, so they're kind of aware of it. Um, but they, you know, when, when there's research, when you go online, you behave as if you've had two glasses of wine. I mean, like 60% of Brazilians sexed on a regular basis. And I, people just don't seem to have any inhibitions when they go online. But anyway, I don't know if you saw the Barbie example with Mattel, where Barbie, you could talk to Barbie and it would go up to the cloud and Barbie would come back with a response, a bit like Siri in your Barbie. And Mattel had to cut the whole line of toys because it was capturing family arguments. And Barbie was coming back with advice to the family, <laughs> which is a bit unnerving. But uh, right, last question for me, and then we'll open it up to the floor. But um, there was a little bit connected to me about about implantables. Mm -hmm. Does anybody have an implantable on the panel? And if you do not have an implantable, what implantable would you, would you like? We'll start with Elizabeth. I'm not a grinder, as they call them, um, but it's super interesting. I mean, if you put these RFID chips in your skin, it means you can, I mean, there's a company in Sweden, I think it is, in Stockholm, where all their employees are outfitted, and it's, it's, it looks a little bit like a, when you're getting a tattoo, but they, it's a surgery, and they implant this little chip into your yeah. skin, but that means when you go into the building, you don't have to find your pass, which is stressful, let's be honest, but I, I don't know I if I, I resort to surgery. Our CEO had it done, I saw the film. Don't do that it. Hurts. <laughs> getting it in is fine. Getting it out, <laughs> not not nice. Yeah, I don't know. At this stage, um, that that's less appealing to me. Um, I probably would err on the side of caution. Uh, but certainly within medicine and what kind of you know these nanobots and what they can do and you know ingestibles, I think um, holds yeah. far more interesting prospects. Cameron. Yeah, I had the implantable. Which one did you get? And uh, where is it, more yeah. importantly? <laughs> <laughs> the NFC implant. It was in my forum. Yeah? Um, yeah, because I live in Sweden, so it was very easy for me to hop over and get it jabbed into me. But um, it's hard to fly with them. And I think we live in a, a fairly uh, paranoid state now. And I think when a half-Iranian guy is going through an airport and the uh, <laughs> security gate beeps... Oh, well, you won't be able to get into America anymore, so that'll... You have electronics <laughs> embedded in right. your arm. And just sort of <laughs> Right. Raise a few flags. <laughs> yeah. Duncan? 
Uh, I'm going to stretch the question slightly. Um, so um, the Amazon uh, Dash buttons that you have, that you don't, they're not embedded, but you just press a button. So the typical one is mm. Persil for your washing powder. And you right. just press it and automatically new washing powder turns up. I was browsing through the Amazon website. I noticed they have a Durex Dash button. There we go. Where do you, right. where do you put that? <laughs> For all sorts of so Amazon knows how many times you press the dash button. There we go. Right. All sorts of data on you. Will? Um, I think I think I would I would go for uh, something which actually you know because you there's a certain time isn't there in human experience where you know you know you're tired but then when you're really tired or you're kind of you're in a situation where you're going to get that migraine tomorrow but you haven't quite realized it because actually the pattern is that you're quite you're overtired so you're actually feeling quite high it's the uh, some kind of device that actually can know you better than you know yourself in that moment i think that's where we're actually we'll find that people find this sort of technology is useful where it actually says no you, you know remember this is the kind of time where you need to go to bed at right. nine thirty mm. p.m. You right. idiot. So and, like and for that. your kids as well would be. Well, exactly. Yeah, basically, <laughs> right. I need something to kind of be a mother figure for me. Right. <laughs> Just in a digital sense. Okay, it's getting 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 deep now. We're going deep. Hang on, everybody. Helen. <laughs> well, I mean, the idea. I mean, again, so I, go, I go back to that kind of trade-off thing. I, I wouldn't say say no, but you think about you know. We already put strange things in our bodies, you know, that, you know, implants of all different varieties, tattoos, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and I do think, so I, I wouldn't never, I would never say never. I just think at the moment, I don't see the actual benefit of doing it outweighs actually. What could I do other than entering the building without a pass? <laughs> not, not quite yet on, on that. But you think about how much already is going onto your phone, pay by your car, you know, all of that sort of stuff is the next iteration that all of that stuff, you know, goes in. But I think from a health perspective, you think that birth control's already, you know, an implant, you think about the ability of the cameras to go in to diagnose sort of stuff. So, or, or to have, you know, an implant that, you know, which we already do pacemakers at rates, so that, all that sort of stuff, right. I think. The interesting thing, people talk about, oh, no, but when you're actually, it's all, a lot of it is already here, and people use it. People forget that actually it's not as radical right. as what it is, as what you right. think it is. It, you actually were already on that path to get there, but people forget because they think about the end as opposed to actually all the steps that we're getting to get right. there. So I'd say never, but probably not in 2017. Right, <laughs> right. 2018, 2018, possible. The year, the, year the year of implantables. The singularity is coming. Norm Johnson from Mindshare there, heading up the panel, featuring Elizabeth Cherian from DWT, Duncan Anderson from IBM, Will Goodhand from Cantal TNS, and Cameron Worth from Sharpend, who I caught up with for a very brief chat just to see how his day had gone and what he'd found out during the day. My name's Cameron Worth, I'm the founder of Sharpend. The reason I'm here is I was invited by Mindshare to come and give a presentation on Zero UI and the move towards uh, voice-enabled assistance in the home. So I gave a quick introduction into what that actually means for businesses, brands and consumers, as well as some kind of key consideration points when building uh, voice applications. 
In terms of the panel, I mean, I learned some really interesting things about what other markets are doing around voice. So you've pretty much got the Amazon or the Google equivalents uh, in other key markets such as Asia and South Korea, for example. So that was interesting. I think also hearing from the audience what they're into and what their opinions are. I think sometimes panels are quite insular in terms of it's just the five people on stage giving their opinions. But actually, it's really interesting when you open it up to the audience and get their thoughts, which I, I thought Norm did a great job of. Mindshare have always been uh, ahead of, I guess, ahead of the curve in the sense where they're really exploring the future of media in its truest sense. They're not just thinking about the future of advertising. And I think the Mindshare 2017 trends report, just like the 2016 and the 2015 before it, have always been very, very uh, precise in terms of where... Uh, brands need to be focusing their attention and I think they're always kind of nine nine times out of ten completely on the money. And finally I spoke to Sophie Harding who leads Mindshare's intelligence team to see how the day had gone from her end. Um, so I'm Sophie, I head up our trans program here at Mindshare. Um, really pleased with how the day went and we had a great turnout. Um, the panel in particular I thought was a really really interesting debate. We had a real mix of viewpoints and some really honest uh, thoughts there from all of our panellists. I really enjoyed that part of the day. For the rest of this year, um, we will be releasing some specialist uh, research reports into some of the areas we've um, already talked about within the trends report. So in the next few months, we have a future of TV slash AV report coming up. Um, and April, we're working on a joint project with JWT um, around voice uh, interaction. Thanks to everybody that came today and for all your interest that we've had in trends. And thanks for listening into our podcast. Mm-hmm.